Welcome to a Fresh Perspective podcast, catering to the latest in ingredient trends, consumer insights, and food news. Brought to you by Corbion. Hi, and welcome to a Fresh Perspective podcast, the podcast where we talk about everything food. I'm Jenny Colzart, and I am your host today. And I'm joined by my dear friend, Marge O'Brien. Hello. We're Thanks so happy for having have me. Yes, yes. Our podcast topic today is 2021, a year in review in the meat industry. You know, I think about at the end of 2020 and how excited everyone was for that horrible year to end. And I can't believe we're at the end of 2021 already. Yeah, it's super interesting. And I know everybody was like, oh, COVID and everything, it's past. No, it's still here. We weren't done. We weren't done. No. So this conversation is is really important for us to have because this year just kind of wasn't what everyone thought it was going to be. So let's introduce our guests because we've had these women on before. They're incredible. They know so much about what we're about to talk about. Um, So I'd like to introduce Anna Marie Roarink, and she is the president of 210 Analytics, and Jonna Parker, and she's our team lead for IRI Fresh. Hi, Anne-Marie. Hi, Jana. Hey, Jenny. Hey, Marge. Hello. Welcome to A Fresh Perspective. Uh, we're talking today about a year a year in review, 2021. So let's just kind of start off in, in general. Uh, what trends in the meat industry, you know, really stuck out to you this year? I think the biggest thing, as you alluded to, Jenny and Marge, was that we are still cooking the majority of our meals at home. So there was a brief period in May, June, and even early July where consumers were, you know, a little more open. We, for example, at IRI saw the highest rate of on-premise dining and the highest percentage of people saying they were looking forward to going out to eat. But it felt like a special occasion kind of thing. Um, And then especially when the Delta variant started to take hold, as well as the fact that people have just gotten used to cooking at home, right? By the time we hit September, we were still seeing eight out of 10 meals in the average American household being made or prepped in the home. And that is a direct impact on the meat industry because it does mean that you still need a highly elevated amount of meat, Now, we didn't see the same sales rates that we saw in Q2 of 2020 when folks were doing more stock-up behavior, but we definitely Mm -hmm. still see double-digit sales over 2019. And again, before before COVID, people were eating about half their meals outside the home. Now we're doing eight out of 10. So all of that's going to have a direct impact on the meat industry, both for your center of plate proteins, but also things in the processed meat case, like sliced lunch beets and hot dogs and breakfast foods. So I'm just curious, Jonna, you, you just went through in terms of the shifts that you've seen. Is there any particular trend that surprised you the most? You know, I think the one that I wouldn't say surprised me, but is the one we've talked the most about in the last several months of this year, which is the continued rate of premiumization happening in protein, especially with this year's headlines being less about being homebound and more about rising costs of everything and supply chain issues. We're still seeing double-digit growth in areas like prime beef, prime-graded beef, 
steaks and roasts are still doing tremendously well. And, you know, we'd be remiss, even though this is a meat podcast, we didn't talk about the juggernaut that is seafood. And all of that, (laughs) seafood's doing phenomenally, 32% growth versus pre-COVID in retail sales. And I think a lot of that is surprising because we forget that when we couldn't go out to eat as much and we were locked down for so long, many people gained skills and interest in the process of replicating their favorite white tablecloth meals at home. And now there's a confidence and an engagement with it. It's a fun thing to do for a lot of people to fire up that grill and, you know, perfect their own garlic butter sauce for that excellent steak. (laughs) And that's still a cost savings to them. It's sure it might be a $20 per pound, you know, excellent filet mignon at prime level, but $20 is still nothing compared to the $100 you'd spend at a white tablecloth. I think that's the trend that surprises the most people this late into the COVID game. Yeah, I, I I agreed. But I also am one of the people that have been doing those things. Like, let's see if I can make the best steak ever in my own kitchen. At Corbion, the word impossible doesn't stop us. It gets us going. As a leading global ingredient supplier, we create sustainable food solutions based on renewable resources and natural processes. We are obsessed with solving impossible challenges for our customers. Let's partner together to find solutions unique to you and preserve what matters most. Corbion, keep creating. And Marie, one of the things that that we have done some research on and noticed is that consumers are looking for that on-package label that says, this is better for my family to eat. Why do you think that is? Why now? I'm not sure if it's just why and now. I think it's been going on for a while. And initially during the pandemic, we were all a little bit more about comfort food. But then, of course, we realized how important food choices are relative to uh, immunity and health altogether. So what I'm seeing across categories, not just meat, is that whole idea of feeling a little bit better about the choice that I make today versus the choice that I made yesterday. So we often don't see these enormous shifts where a meat eater uh, goes vegetarian or vegan, vegan because they might believe that that is better. But what we do see is small shifts in, in their uh, choices. And that shift might be going to a blend of, let's say, meat and mushrooms versus all meat, or it might be something that is lowering cholesterol. So we see things like bison and venison, that even though they're very, very small meats in the grand scheme of things, but it just brings variety and they have good health claims. So it's not like we see a lot of meat brands have that, hey, this is better for you on the package. But you see consumers looking for things like, hey, is it in a packaging that is better for the environment or it lasts longer? Or does this have less cholesterol than this? Or is it a little bit lower in fat? Whatever the, the claims might be that they're looking for. And so we're absolutely seeing that in meat as well as other categories. That makes me wonder about what uh, Jana was saying about seafood, you know, because I don't know, I was taught that seafood is healthier for you than red meat. Right. And I and I don't know if that's really truly the case in, in, in all the ways, but it is why, you know, I'll pick up fish at the supermarket where maybe I wouldn't have before. But it's like we've been eating. We had like two steaks last week. Like it's time to have a little fish. Maybe we'll have, you know, some edamame instead of meat on the, 
on this pasta dish or whatever. Um, just because, yeah, I mean, we've been sitting at home now for two years, you know, a, a bunch of us have. And so it's like, well, we need to make better decisions or we're just going to, you know, bloat out and <laughs> end up with heart problems. <laughs> Well, I, I agree. And I think, see, but there's a lesson in that, I think, for the meat industry, because seafood has done a tremendous job in creating that health halo, right? Seafood mm. has been talking about omega-3s. It's been talking about having less cholesterol, being very low in fat, et cetera, et cetera. And so this is something that I believe the meat industry has a big opportunity to do, to just really highlight the fact that there are very important nutrients in meat, such as zinc, which is a prime immune fighting nutrient, um, such as protein, which the entire store is stealing, even though meat protein is, is the most efficient of the protein. So I think there's a, a big lesson in that. Absolutely. Let me ask you guys this, building on, on what you just said, Anna Marie, how do companies approach innovation? How, how do you guys see that it may be different now than it was two years ago? I think the biggest thing that we don't do enough of in the fresh foods industry, and especially meat, is starting with the consumer, not the insight. So for example, roughly 20% of American consumers actively will switch and pay more for an item that they feel meets their sustainability and environmental feel-good attributes. And yet when we as an industry talk about things like grass-fed or recyclable packaging, we're reacting to some stats somewhere and not really getting to the heart of, do those people eat meat? What types of protein do they eat? What kinds of cuts are they balancing to? We don't look enough at the shopper to be the source of our inspiration for innovation. And I think this past year has been, two years, has been such an interesting choice opportunity evaluation. Hmm. Anna-Marie said it. There were many forced and selective choices that consumers had to make at shelf. First off, when things like the traditional beef grinds were scarce in you know, June-ish 2020, people were opting for different things. Then there was the whole plant-based gaining shelf space. Who switched? Why'd they switch? What did they switch from? And increasingly, there is this general feeling of people experimenting with different proteins and different cuts. What are they using them for? What do they wish they had now that they are experimenting? I think that's the heart of innovation in the future is looking less at what people are doing and more about what they wish we, they did more. And then that's the product we could bring to market. It's often not about what you do, but explaining why you do it. And, and we haven't always been great about that. For instance, I see a lot of brands moving to packaging that extends shelf life, but not talk about it. And for consumers, that means they can buy meat and it can sit in the refrigerator for two to three weeks rather than wasting the meat. They can freeze it without having to repackage it. And likewise, I think a lot of the claims that we're seeing are not explained very well. Like a new one that we see a lot is the regenerative agriculture. Uh, what consumer knows what that means? So let's talk a little bit about what it means. And I think uh, we really support that educated decision on better for me. What's regenerative regenerative agriculture? You know, I trick over that one too. I always have to <laughs> say it in my brain before I say it out loud. Uh, it's, it's really agriculture, uh, keeping the land in mind. So it's a lot of biodiversity. It is moving the animals around more. 
And it really is actually using animal agriculture to make the planet better rather than being a drain on the environment. So it's a, it's a very exciting um, focus right now in agriculture. Yes, I would like to have you back on and talk just about that because that sounds really interesting. Growing up, you know, in the country, we, you know, the farmers, you know, rotated crops all the time to keep the land from just being completely stripped of nutrients. And that's that's been going on forever, right? But it sounds like there's even more maybe innovation and things happening there. So man, we'll just we'll put a pin in that and, and talk about that another time. <laughs> Absolutely. Sadly, we're already out of time. Um, this has been so great. Thank you so much for talking about 2021. Um, it was definitely a year of kind of unexpected changes. And I'm grateful that you're on top of it and can chat with us about it. So thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having us. That's all the time we have today, March. That was interesting. And I wonder, yeah. I wonder about what's coming next year, right? Because we all have expectations for 2022, but who knows? We had we had expectations this year and they, you know, they changed. They sort of went sideways because, <laughs> you know, the, the pandemic has still been the overarching theme, but it has created new and different opportunities and challenges. And, you know, obviously the, the labor shortages and the supply chain issues certainly have an impact and we see it throughout grocery. And so that was something that, you know, I'm sure smarter people than us saw coming, but I certainly didn't see coming. And it is something we're living in right now. Right. We're used to going to the grocery store and half the shelves are empty. Um, and that's very different than <laughs> 2019. So absolutely. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining me today, March. This has been great. Um, don't forget to like, subscribe, and follow us on thecorbyoncut.com and thebakerstake.com. Uh, Till next time, preserve what matters. <laughs> <laughs>